You're listening to Don't Tell the Easter Bunny, a podcast celebrating the unsung festivities that won't be found on any normal calendar. This show is presented every two weeks by a mother-son duo who like to keep it safe for work. I'm Bryce, the son. I'm Misty, the mom. And you can reach out to us at Don't Tell the Easter Bunny for Instagram and Facebook and at Don't Tell the EAS1 for Twitter. Or you can email us at Don't Tell the Easter Bunny at gmail.com. No special characters are speaking. Okay, let's hop to it. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is Bryce and Misty post recording. As a bit of a disclaimer for this episode and the one that is following after and coming out on the same day is that we're kind of playing around with reformatting a few things when it comes to recording the show. So actually, this is going to be a part A and a part B kind of double episode. (laughs) If you are listening to part A, please go and continue into part B, which will be out as well. And then if this is part B, please go back to part A, either when you're done with this or, you know, start from the very beginning. Thanks for listening. Okay, so you've got the next one. Yeah, it is actually on July 4th, and it is Sidewalk Egg Frying Day. So July 4th is a remarkable day for many things in the American tradition. We associate this day with the approval of the Declaration of Independence by the American Congress in 1776, and we celebrate it with many fireworks and grilled foods in the twilight sky. But less formally known, roughly two decades after the Declaration of Independence, another declaration was made to the American public, the Louisiana Purchase. And in 1827, on July 4th, New York abolished slavery. And going back to Part A, you know, kind of like a tie-in with all this, Lockheed Martin had its first flight of the Vega on July 4th, and the Freedom of Information Act was signed into law on the same date. So, but finally, of course, the 4th of July also celebrates Sidewalk Egg Frying Day. (laughs) I know it fits in very well, right? With everything else. Especially living in Florida. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Yeah, you're supposed uh, to have laughed at the first time I said it, but uh yeah. So, Mom, I know that you used to teach science for kids in public schools. And did you ever try teaching them how to fry an egg on the sidewalk? Not on the sidewalk. Uh, We made solar ovens. Okay, that doesn't count. (laughs) Oh, well. No, I've never tried on the sidewalk. Okay, well. I'm I'm sure it could be done, though. Maybe. I mean, okay, so I was going to pose the question. Do you think that it's actually feasible to cook an egg on pavement or asphalt or whatever it is? I I think, yeah, probably. However, personally, I would want a pan or something underneath it just because I don't think I would want to try eating one off the sidewalk. What, you don't want some bacteria on there? <laughs> Be good for another science experiment, yeah. I'm sure. Well, so I kind of want to pose that question, right, as I'm going into what does it take to kind of maybe do this or not? And by talking about that, we're going to be talking about heat. And so we're going to go a little sciency for a minute. 
And um, there's one other interesting factor about the 4th of July, and that comes that is that it comes a couple of weeks after the summer solstice, which is the day when the northern hemisphere is oriented nearest to the sun. And it also means that is it is the day with the most sun exposure of the year. Uh, contrarily, this is the winter solstice in the southern hemisphere, and so they receive the least amount of sun exposure and sunlight. Um, and it flip flops, right? You know, so when the winter solstice is here, it becomes the summer solstice there. Right. But you might think that the day that receives the most amount of sunlight would actually be the hottest day, right? Like, that's what my common sense is telling me. It seems like it, yeah. Yeah, right? But it turns out that that's not the case. And that's because Earth actually has to process a lot of the heat that's coming in. And so it kind of, the hottest days of the year, they appear about maybe a few weeks to a few months after the summer solstice is over with. And that's what is known as seasonal lag. So seasonal lag kind of sounds like a consequence from advanced climate change, (laughs) you know, but it actually turns out to be a completely different phenomenon that has been going for centuries. And uh, meteorologists would explain that the reason why we experience hotter days several weeks later than the solstice is because the Earth can absorb a lot of heat before it actually begins to change the mean temperature of an area, the average temperature of an area. And uh, there's another thermodynamic term called heat capacity that basically states that every material requires a certain amount of energy to warm up. So each material can also have its different heat capacity limit or level that it has to get enough energy to actually get hotter by a degree or however much it is. So I was having a bit of an issue trying to actually wrap my head around this entire concept of seasonal lag and heat capacity. So (laughs) I found an article where they really talked about it and uh, simplified terms, so, especially for me because I like to cook, so they were using cooking analogies for this. <laughs> um, they were explaining that cooking oil has a lower heat capacity and it will heat up really quickly. So that's why you use it, right, when right. you want to go ahead and fry something because it will heat it up quicker than if you were boiling it in water because boiling water is... It's going to take a lot longer. Well, the water has a higher heat capacity to it. And it also turns out that water is the primary reason of why we have seasonal lag go on Earth. And so that's because water might take a long time to warm up. But once it does, it will remain the way for a long that way for a longer period of time when compared to other materials, especially the air or terra firma. So that's kind of like our solar panels on the pool. It's It takes for like three days or so really for it to warm up the pool, but then it keeps the heat for quite a while. Yeah. So water is very good at storing heat. It just, again, takes a while because it has a higher heat capacity, and it's also a slow conductor of heat. And so basically, as I was thinking about it, it's kind of like a pick a lockpick trying to go into a certain lock and you know they have to go through all the different gears and 
what other types of uh, restraints are on the lock. Well, that's essentially like what the heat and the solar energy is trying to do with the water. It's trying to pick through it. And, you know, the further that you get into it, you are secured. But also when I'm thinking about the solar energy, it can't escape once the lock is through. I don't know much more about pick locking other than that, (laughs) but that's how I was thinking about it. So again, with like air or ground, you know, earth materials, they absorb and dissipate energy quickly. But again, the water, it will go ahead and build and store up all the solar energy as the days are progressing to, during, and after the summer solstice. So you can actually expect, um, you know, like beach water, lake water, any kind of water or body to be warmer as it is gets further into summer. And so that's if you want to go swimming, that's the time to go because you don't want to be going into like freezing cold water, right? And then of course, water doesn't, doesn't stay in one place and the heat is transferred into other parts of the world through rain and condensation, basically warming up the rest of the earth as the air and the ground are starting to cool. And eventually the water will start to release the solar energy and the solar heat into the atmosphere, which is where you know we feel it the most. And it all depends on your location and the climate that you live in. So like when I was looking seasonal lag up, San Francisco came up as an example where the warmest days of the year are actually in September and October. And that's because there's so much water in the Bay Area that it will not release the energy until, you know, like basically the entire Bay Area has gotten up to a certain heat level. And then it's like, oh no, we gotta release gas molecules and start floating up in the air. So again, with more water, more area to collect sunshine, and the immediate feeling of the dog days of summer will be put off until later. And speaking of dog days of summer, I found out that it is a specific expression that refers to a specific and unique cultural kind of experience of seasonal lag. So the ancient Romans and the Greeks noticed that seasonal lag as we do today, but they didn't think it was necessarily, you know, delayed heat conduction with our own earthly elements. These cultures thought it came from the star Sirius A, which is the brightest star in the night sky. And they happened to notice that Series A follows the same trajectory as the sun does during July, and they believe that this fiery star rained more sunlight onto the Earth, causing the surface to become hotter during, you know, this month. Also for the name Sirius, it actually means scorch or scorcher in ancient Greek. And there's another name for the star. Do you know what it is, Mom? Oh, no, <laughs> the, the, the death star or the heat star, you know, no, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry to <laughs> disappoint, but I guess I won't win Jeopardy then. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, you probably might be able to get this because you did study Latin before okay. and it is the Alpha Canis Majoris. 
large, big. Yeah, bag. yeah. Um, like the Big Dipper. Uh, no. Not the Big Dipper. No. Let's see. Canis. Uh, dog. Yeah. Large dog. Yeah, large dog. <laughs> and so in plain English, it is the dog star. Oh. I guess Alpha being, you know, even like bigger than Majoris. They're <laughs> trying to say like, this is the big guy. And the reason why is that it is the star is in the middle of the greater dog constellation. So all this to say is that the dog days of summer is actually a very culturally significant phrase that speaks on, you know, like the Mediterranean way of life. And the dog days of summer also talks on a very limited time frame with dates and all that. It starts on July 3rd and ends on July 29th. And that, you know, even to this day, if you refer to the dog days of summer, no matter what your climate is or what latitude you live on, it's always going to refer to those days. And with July 3rd, I thought this was kind of interesting that stay out of the Sunday, which is another holiday that gets recognized and, you know, like the national list of weird holidays that we get our information from, or at least pick our days. Um, it is recognized on July 3rd as a way to like, you know, <laughs> be aware of staying out of the sun is good to protect your skin and all that. And July and August, there seem to be a lot of national holidays based around that and even national month and weeks. Yeah. Well, so with talking about, you know, heat and how the earth actually heats up, it's kind of a good time now to circle back onto the question of, can you fry an egg on a sidewalk? Okay. And... In theory, it's kind of doable, but in practice, it's pretty much impossible from it, what it turns out. And there are two reasons for that. First of all, you'd have to hope for an extremely hot day. Eggs cook at temperatures above 158 degrees if you're talking conservatively. But Bill Nye did an experiment on this, and he said that you only need to make about 130 degrees Fahrenheit to cook an egg thoroughly. And if you're going off of that, there are rare cases of where the ground temperature has just scraped by 130 degrees, you know, on the globe. But anything above 140 degrees for ground temperature is kind of questionable because the heat capacity limit of concrete is very low. So basically, you know, it like, you won't ever get to the point of getting 158 degrees, which is needed by most scientists and most chefs and whatever, I guess it is, say you need to cook an egg. And then secondly, concrete and asphalt are not the best conductors for heat, so it already has a you know low heat capacity. It's not going to get high temperatures on it. But those who have tried the experiment of doing it on pavement have demonstrated that heat doesn't transfer evenly to the egg. So the final result comes out poorly, if not downright undercooked. <laughs> like, it still kind of looks like a glob of yolk that's been barely touched. But even though it is almost impossible to fry an egg on a sidewalk, it doesn't stop the people of Oatman, Arizona. 
they celebrate this holiday, and they've been celebrating it since 1991 when Fred Eck, a member of the town's Chamber of Commerce, had decided to bring in an annual egg frying contest. Fred Eck or Fred Egg? Okay, now you're trying it. <laughs> you didn't get exactly before. Now, uh-huh. now you're thinking you can get by. Uh-huh. Well, the contest, contest that's hosted by Fred Eck pits teams against each other to creatively fry an edible-looking egg. It actually doesn't have to be eaten after it's done cooking, but it has to look like you could go ahead and put a fork through it and put it on maybe like avocado toast or something. So you have to cook this egg with only solar energy, which means you can't have any lit fire, so no gas, and you can't use any electronic equipment. And the egg has to be cooked within 15 minutes time. Anyone is free to register for the event, and teams consist of one to, th- one to three people in total. And there has to be one person that actually fries the egg, but the two other people can be assistants. I assume from basically what they do is they get different materials to create contraptions to help assist frying the egg. Because, of course, again, you can't get enough heat just from the ground. So they'll go ahead and use glass jars, like mason jars, or they'll be using aluminum foil or mirrors to help focus the heat onto the egg frying surface area. (laughs) Um, Participants also probably shouldn't be scared of big crowds from what I was looking up. They're maybe expecting about 1,500 people this coming year. Wow. I know, right? It's got to be hot to watch, too. I know. They actually said that in the rules of, you know, like applying and all that, um, what age do you have to be for this? They said any age is welcome, age 1 through 101. And I'm thinking, first of all, you put a limit saying 101. (laughs) But also, who? what kind of like 90-year-old person is going to be out there. I don't know. This, gosh, when we've been walking on some of the mountains and stuff, there are some senior citizens out there that could definitely, like, whiz by me. So you never know. There might be yeah. some tough people. As long as you bring enough water and shade, I guess you're good. <laughs> I guess so. So some things to help out or at least like pay, be aware of if you are going to be cooking out on this day at this contest. I think you definitely need a great team name because as I was going through older, uh, you know, contests, they had names that were like exactly team to beat. Okay. I like that one. Yeah. I like that one a lot. <laughs> Um, I actually don't think Team to Beat won because I think it was Sexy Solar Chefette that year. Ah, that one. Which so you is, think they won because of their name and not their frying ability? I mean, with a name like that, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty hot and on fire, right? I know. So do they get points for their names? Like for the creativity? I am not completely sure about names. Prizes are awarded, and the only article that I could find where they listed different categories for people participating in the contest, um, the categories are youngest contestant, absolute, absolute showmanship, which might be 
what I would imagine to be, you know, like the names getting points under that category. Um, best costume. <laughs> so so wait, you could dress up like bacon to go with your eggs. You know, yeah, and <laughs> uh, maybe like a toast to go along with it because people have also brought their, um, you know, other supplies for this. So generally, it looked like from the photos you would be placing a frying pan down on the sidewalk, cracking the egg, and then these eggs also are supplied by the town. You get two chances at it. But you can bring whatever else, right? Even cooking, food, stuff, items. So I read that people have brought potatoes and bacon and all sorts of other things who kind of dish up, you know, (laughs) serve it nicely. Um, going back to the categories, there's the best cooking contraption. So, like, to give you an idea of kind of what, you know, invention and creativity goes into these contraptions, Fred Eck was talking with some news site where he was explaining that one year there was this open-air box that the egg was put into, and... He referred to it as looking like the Death Star. So going back to your Death Star (laughs) comment, um, and I guess it was basically all these different mirrors on top that just would bounce off of each other and then eventually reach its way to the egg and heat it up from there. That's basically solar oven. That's kind of how we made the solar oven. It was just kind of open with mirrors that reflected down. Okay, okay. Or like Maybe, tinfoil, so it could also reflect. Maybe I'll take back my comment earlier then. If it's acceptable for the Oatman, Arizona egg frying contest, I guess it's okay <laughs> to, for you guys, even though it was not just on the ground. Yeah. Um, well, and, you did say frying an egg on a sidewalk, so I mean, it wasn't really the sidewalk. Yeah, well... So the final category that I could find also was the contestant who's traveled farthest away. And I have not found anybody who has traveled, you know, from an extreme amount. But uh, if <laughs> Arizona's a pretty decent <laughs> distance away for us. So you yeah. want to like. It's, sure, let's hop on the plane. <laughs> yeah. It will be in Canada yeah. on July 4th, but hey, that makes it even better. It's going to be further away. and uh, Will we get more for mileage, though? <laughs> yeah. Can we put on our uh, flight rewards? Uh, maybe. Maybe. But we're going to be kayaking with whales that day, so nothing beats that. Yeah, that's true. And I guess that's about it for Sidewalk Egg Frying Day. I got a lot more out of this day than I thought I was going to get. But. You had mentioned Arizona. It's interesting that they have, you know, the contest there because I I think it was Arizona. I'm not sure, but um, definitely, you know, out that way, Arizona, New Mexico, they said that it's gotten hot enough to actually melt soles of shoes. You know, it, I did not see what the heat capacity of rubber soles are compared to an egg. It's kind of weird to think that an egg might be you know be harder to cook than (laughs) a rubber sole on a shoe but yeah i mean it can get hot places and then of course around here when we have you know like a few weeks ago when we're having the heat index in the 
hundred, you know, high, like 110 and higher, they were warning about taking your dog out for a walk. Yeah, no, don't. Puppies' feet can get burned pretty oh, badly. So either put booties on them or just do your little egg frying contest inside. Which, I guess, you know, to celebrate the holiday, I guess that's what I recommend. Like <laughs> Flying to Arizona and being part of the competition. Or that. You can yeah. go there or you can do a science experiment at home. Yeah. Whichever one is less costly for you, I suppose. <laughs> that was interesting because I guess I never, you know, even teaching science, I didn't think about heat capacity and that it wouldn't warm up enough. But I'm sure if you get like a Teflon pan, uh, that heat capacity would actually be a little bit different. But then you're not truly, I guess, really frying an yeah. egg on the sidewalk, you know. So so I don't know if that would really fit the bill. <laughs> sure. But anyway. And I guess I should put a little asterisk on all this. Again, like I said... I was having a bit of trouble wrapping my head around seasonal lag, heat capacity, um, what other, you know, thermodynamic and thermal conduction things we were talking about. So if I did get anything incorrect and not quite on point, you can please let us know. I will not be offended. (laughs) You know, talking about the solar panels again. One of the interesting things is they say if your pool is too hot during the day and you have solar panels, run them at night. And it actually will bring the cool of the night and you know, absorb it into the water that's going through the solar panels and then cool your pool down. Yeah, so I wonder... Kind of the opposite effect. Do you think that has anything to do with, like, you know, heat rising and colder falling to the ground? In that case, no. I mean, yeah, that's what it normally does, but... I mean, I guess it depends on the solar panels we have. We have, you know, ones that literally the water goes through them. They're black, so they absorb the heat of the sun and transfer that into the water as it goes through and then goes back into our pool. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's no heat, it's going to transfer whatever the air temperature is at the time. So at night, it will cool down the water if it's going through through them. Okay. And then bring the cold in and transfer it that way, so. Gotcha. It's kind of the opposite way, but it's the same idea with the heat capacity, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, and I did just remember one interesting fact about water. Again, it because it does take a while to... Basically, you're trying to get the entire volume of water to heat up right. And so, like, going back to the San Francisco thing, because there's a lot of water there, it will receive the amount of sunlight that it can, but it basically has to make the entire bay like from top to bottom almost top to bottom i know like the bottom of the sea is always going to be freezing cold but that's why it actually kind of takes it so long to heat up but if you give it enough solar energy it will just need to have an elapse of time right so if you actually take um boiling or take a pot of water on a stovetop if you have put enough heat energy into it and it's still, you know, not bubbling yet or anything, if you take it off the stove, the heat will eventually get the entire volume to go and the bubbles will start going and boiling. That's interesting. So I think you have the final part, right, Mom? 
Yeah, and a really good segue from yours into mine because I also have a competition. Oh. So, like we were trying to say earlier when we said what day was coming up, it's the long one. International Cherry Pit Spitting Competition Day. I still think that's way too many syllables for... It, it is, but... Anyway, and you have to have the international in there. And technically, it was not originally considered a holiday. Okay. It was just the International Cherry Pit Spitting Competition. All right. And then it became a holiday. So um, it's July 6th, which uh, this year it's July 6th, but it's actually the first Saturday in July. Mm-hmm. And kind of two different reasons. It does fall around 4th of July then. But also the main reason is it falls near cherry picking season. It's like actually the beginning of cherry picking season. That's pretty fitting then. (laughs) Yeah, this is in Eau Claire, Michigan. So a little bit north from us. We can't really grow cherries very well down here. They definitely need the cold area. Uh, But back in 1974... uh, some family members who owned a fruit farm called the Tremendous Fruit Farm. That's pretty tremendous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, actually kind of started the contest as a joke. They're just outside during, you know, cherry picking season. And they decided to spit some seeds and had a little competition with each other. It wasn't until um, a couple of years later that they realized it was so popular and uh, just kind of a fun thing, I guess, that they actually created the competition and an actual day for it. So uh, Herb Teichman uh, was the first cherry spitter in this particular tournament. He actually was the one that kind of created it for fun. But since it's been going on uh, since the 1970s, so it's what, 40 a little over 40 years. Something now. like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there have been two... I think this is so funny. There have been two families that just have dominated the competition. Okay. Uh, pretty much all along, but really since 1980, like on the books, you can just see the same names over and over and over again. I guess it's kind of like the hot dog guy. You, know, you always see the same... Guy who can stuff down all those hot dogs sure, every yeah. year. But anyway. Keeps coming back to the competition just to brag so about it. he's skinny too. I actually didn't get to see like these people. Of course, they aren't eating anything. They're just spitting. Uh-huh. But, um, so the two families are called the Krauses and the Lessards. And um, occasionally someone from the outside will actually come in and beat them. But pretty much they are, you know, the families that have held the most records probably in it one of them i I think it's kind of funny because they kind of all have nicknames that are or at least i should say the krauses have nicknames that are based on like guns and shooting okay (laughs) so um the the one member of the family that holds the guinness uh, world record right now it's truly in the guinness book of world records yes they have a category for cherry pits they have to yeah you know of course um his nickname is young gun that's good <laughs> yeah but anyway his name is brian young gun kraus and uh 
So it's kind of interesting. He holds the world record. So do you know how far he actually spit the, the pit seed, whatever it is? Um, 92 feet. Wow, you're close. <laughs> really Maybe close. I did some research on this. Who knows? <laughs> I know. 93 feet, 6.5 inches. Oh, that's what I meant to say. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 sure. I, can you imagine? Not really, because I was like, okay, when you were saying spitting out a cherry pit, I was thinking like maybe twenty feet at max. I know. So, so they, uh, you had brought up the different categories in the competition that you're talking about, the egg frying, and they have a lot of different categories too. I won't really go into them, but just because um, you had said the twenty feet, there's like little anyone can sign up once again basically any age category and free but there's a little kid little kid of six seven eight somewhere in that age range i didn't write it down so i can't remember that spat at like 18 feet Jeez. i don't think i could do that no. <laughs> but the thing here is okay so brian kraus does hold the world record uh set back in let me see i gotta see this um uh, to 2004 2004 and but that is not actually the furthest uh cherry pit has been spit during these competitions so can you guess probably the farthest uh more than 92 feet or <laughs> yeah, 93 feet definitely that would be correct of uh, 130 feet uh, not quite that much but. okay but still, pretty good amount. 110 feet, 4 inches. Yeesh. But that is not technically a world record because it was done in a freestyle competition. Oh, come on. <laughs> I know. But it was held by the same exact guy who won the actual world record. So I guess it's not as bad, but still. And getting one up by your own self and you're not even going to get credit for it. <laughs> I know. And the thing is, is that's actually on the Guinness World Record uh, website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. they even talk about his freestyle one, but his official one in the book was only the 93 foot one. Aww. So anyway, so that was kind of interesting. You have it, man. <laughs> you still have the record. I know. So I'm sure he will come back to, uh, I'm sure he's been practicing, you know, every year come back although obviously since 2004 so was that 15 years now he's, he's held still in retirement <laughs> maybe you know they didn't say so and they didn't he says young gun but doesn't say how old he is so anyway but uh you had talked about rules so they have rules and i it's funny because on their actual site they, they talked a little bit about like you have to sign up um not even sign up before 12 you actually have to come and do a qualifying event by 12 if you want to be in the competition later but anyone can just come and sign up uh, for free uh so some of the other rules is it very kind of depending on the website you're on but i mean they they were pretty much all the same it's just some included maybe some more rules and things like that uh the contest is open to anyone regardless of age or gender to keep the playing field even there's no foreign object allowed in the mouth. And the contestants' hands are to be kept at their sides. And this is to avoid the cheek popping technique. Did, 
Okay, did they say what the cheek popping <laughs> technique is? They did not, but I would guess that it's kind of like pushing out your lips, like, you know, almost um, like grandma's doo-doo, kish doo lips or whatever, or a fish. And then, I don't remember grandma ever doing <laughs> that, but okay. And then I'm getting some air and popping it out. I really don't know. Um Participants are measured in their height and based on their height are given a unique foul line. <laughs> kind of like golf, I like guess, a handicap. A handicap, yeah. <laughs> and this way, the taller people don't have an advantage over their shorter counterparts. But, you know, I thought about that. And actually, I think taller people would be at a disadvantage because their cherry pit's going to be higher up to fall down with gravity. So it could fall down quicker. <laughs> This is a science teacher, so <laughs> yeah. let's go with that. Anyway. What a dilemma. <laughs> so everyone is given three cherries and three chances. Okay, so this is interesting. That So I'm getting these right now from my please believe it or not, these particular rules. But on one of the websites, it actually said what kind of cherry. And, of course, it's the cherry that they grow. So it's the Montmorency cherry. Okay. And... uh so it can only be that cherry. And I guess the interesting thing was, you know, when when you see words and they just kind of go by you, but then when you're more involved with that word, then it's like all of a sudden it's popping out at you. Mm-hmm. So Montmorency is actually where we're going next week in Canada to see the, the falls, Montmorency Falls. Okay. So it really stood out to me. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll research and see if there's any cherry trees around the falls. Sure. Especially since we're going to do the climbing in the forest. and Maybe do some cherry picking ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, I don't get to see, we well, we both don't get to see cherry trees that often, so mm-hmm. it's kind of cool to see them. But, um, but anyway, no, they, they aren't from there. They're actually from France. Okay. In the Mont, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but the Montmorency uh, Valley. And there are cherry trees over there in France. And uh, the arborday.org actually talks about that a little bit. So the cherry takes its name from the Montmorency Valley in France, where it was developed sometime before the 17th century. So quite a while ago. Its fame quickly spread to England and has been cultivated under various names in the United States from at least the early 19th century. But it accounts for 95% of all production of sour cherries. Oh, wow. Yeah, so quite a bit. They didn't say how. I mean, I guess if I had looked a little bit more, maybe on the website, uh, they would have said how big the farm was, you know, how many um, trees, maybe or acres or whatever, but I didn't read about that. So, okay, so going back to the rules, three Montmorency. Montmorency, (laughs) You're the French person over there. You need to help me out. (laughs) Montmorency cherries um, and three chances. So... Uh, kind of like your eggs, you know, they gave them the eggs to participate, so they can't bring their own cherries. Um, so the cherry is inserted into the mouth hole, and the contestant has 60 seconds to eat the flesh of the fruit and then spit the pit as far as they can. That seems stressful. I know. I I mean, I don't think I could eat it and then spit out. I'd have to remove the pit and then like put it back in my mouth. Yeah. But they, um, somewhere else I was reading, I didn't write it down, but just when I was reading about it, it, they talked about cherry pits are really good for spitting because when they first come, when you first take off that flesh, they're like super slippery. They've got some kind of um, 
wet envelope around them. Okay. <laughs> so they're especially good for spitting like long distances. You know, you guys, if you ever need to spit some fruit out of your mouth, go for a cherry. A cherry, that's right. But you're targeting a somebody. Montmorency in specific. But yeah. you know, I got to thinking, so like, since you can't bring your own cherries, and they give you the three cherries, like, do they measure them? Because they need to handicap that too. Someone could be at a fair, you know, dis, uh, fair advantage or disadvantage or whatever, because if you got a bigger cherry and a bigger pit's going to be heavier and the aerodynamics yeah. aren't quite working <laughs> i don't know Not if streamlined be better enough. heavy or lighter i i don't know but you know if they're an inch or two off from each other that could be a problem that's a really big cherry <laughs> are they supposed to get that big you know i don't know i don't look that that far just up. the pit being an inch long like. <laughs> now the arbor day uh site that i was on actually had a long page about them. I only took out like, the history and the lore of where they came from, but I mean, they had a lot of facts on this particular tree. So I don't know if I've ever seen that type of tree. The cherry trees I have seen are the ones up near uh, was it San Francisco, well, San Jose in that area because uh, we went to Winchester House and they had the the cherry trees there. That you know, because she was really into drawing the cherries and stuff. All I know is cherry blossoms, and I don't even know if cherry blossoms <laughs> are sakuras. Really like, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so that, I guess we won't see them though next week, even though we're going to Montmorency, but they won't be in that they're area. Pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so back to the rules. The longest spit of the three is recorded, and if the pit is accidentally swallowed, that chance is forfeited. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> so when I read that, it kind of reminded me of uh, Grandpa. He was actually eating a cherry pie and bit down into one of the cherries and had a pit and broke his tooth. He forfeited the pit <laughs> and his tooth. <laughs> yes, he did. I don't think he could probably spit after that. So, um, so if you happen to be in Eau Claire, Michigan on July 2nd, uh, why is it actually not July 2nd? Sorry, July, July 6th. 6th. But you know what? The notes and the rules say July 2nd. But 6th, they give you till the day of. So uh, stop by and try out your luck at Cherry Pit Spitting. Good <laughs> and luck, you have guys. to definitely yeah. be there, be registered, and in the qualifying by noon. So, so if any of you are listening and want to try that on the 6th, just make sure you get there early. <laughs> Send us video. <laughs> yeah, even better. We'll have, we'll have to try. We'll get some cherries and do some spit now in the back. Think, I can tell you mine's just going to drop to the ground. You think they ever get like, you know how on ESPN and other NFL related things, they have the camera that follows the football and it's oh, yeah. all CG and has markers around it. You think they have that for these little pits? I don't pits? know. And you know, they didn't talk about the speed. We only talked about the distance. That'd be interesting. But after watching a hockey game, I, cu- I couldn't watch the hockey puck. It was so fast. So so I guess they do have cameras that can you know catch that. But anyway. But once again, it may be in slow motion. Who knows? Maybe. So, so with the idea of cherry pit spinning, I was like, okay, well, why don't I research other uh, spitting competitions you know there's uh watermelon seeds things like that so uh i guess 
it must be popular to research that on Google. Because the first thing that came up was ABC uh, World News. And they actually did a whole thing on the craziest world spitting competitions. That's pretty prescient, you know. I know. So kind of made kind of made my work sure. easy, you know, like top of top of the thing there. But okay, when I went and actually looked at it though to pull these notes, I was grossed out by some of them. I'm just like, oh, I could not believe so. They are right. They are crazy competitions. Um, so can you guess any? Uh, I'm thinking maybe like apple seeds. Well, they, I'm sure there's something seeds. out there, but it wasn't on their list of world's craziest. Pumpkin seeds? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Can you give me hints? Well, it's it's not just seeds. Not just seeds. What? <laughs> it's actually the craziest spitting contests or competitions. And there are some other things here that are not seeds. Okay. So not exactly fruit related and everything. Not necessarily. So now that I've, of course, one was given to you, they actually do have the cherry pit spitting uh-huh. competition on here. It's one of the world's craziest. So that's actually probably pretty cool for that tree farm to like be noted as one of the world's craziest ones. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there just ones where you put rocks in your mouth or like pennies? No, no, you're getting closer though. Okay. So okay, yeah, go no ahead. No more I suspense here. I'm not going to get anywhere with this. All right. So the first one is cricket spitting. Cricket spitting. Okay. <laughs> it's part of the annual bug bowl at Purdue University in Indiana. So have you, All right. <laughs> have you ever, ever eaten a cricket? No. I have not. <laughs> I have twice. Twice? Yeah, twice. So once baked in a cookie, and once before I was allergic to chocolate, I actually had a chocolate-covered cricket. Did you like so, them? Well, the funny thing is, is um, so I actually worked on a TV show where they did wild and wacky things, and um, people had to kind of guess them. So uh, this one person baked cookies that had crickets in them, and it was for the protein and everything like that because they um, actually say it's a really good source of protein. They'll grind them up. I I honestly don't remember really the taste of them, but I remember with both of them that I didn't like gross out over the taste, so I don't think they were that bad. But what I did gross out over with the chocolate cricket, it was one of those big mass of like locust crickets and um it crunched. Ooh. So I I I say I ate it, but I really didn't. I took a bite of it, but I couldn't stomach it after it crunched. No. So, but I did eat the whole cookie. And you could tell, I mean it wasn't like ground up powder like they make nowadays sometimes with that it was literally you could see the head and stuff like that in the parts i guess it didn't turn you off too much if you had it twice you yeah crickets like twice. i said i don't think it was a bad taste but just yeah that that crunch i couldn't do it so so do you know what the record is for cricket spinning oh i don't know <laughs> 32 feet 1.25 inches and it stood since 1998 
is that do they like have the crickets kind of help do they kind of like fly out the mouth <laughs> now they can't because they're dead and slightly thawed after being frozen oh, that's apparently. so sad now and I, the only reason i could think of why they no one's won since 1998 no one's brave enough to try it maybe probably not <laughs> or they throw up so it doesn't spit out it just kind of comes out that might be the case yeah <laughs> so anyway okay so next one not as crazy um olive pits okay yeah so israel last year staged its first olive pit spinning contest with the hopes of breaking the world record of nearly 100 feet who are these people that are just like putting <laughs> things in their mouth and seeing how I would love far to they see their go. training. You know, they show like these athletes for the Olympics getting up at four in the morning and swimming and different things. Could you imagine watching someone train for spinning? Hundreds? Well, yeah, so like Ripley's, believe it or not, you have to be verified, right? <laughs> so you probably between you know, you calling them up and actually showing up at your place and getting it all verified, you're probably trying to do your best to, like, practice over and over again. <laughs> I wonder how many, like, things they eat, like how many cherries they go through for practicing. <laughs> or they or have cherry plants growing inside of them. <laughs> or crickets. Do they just hope that they'll be able to spit the cricket farther than someone else because they don't want to try it again? <laughs> okay, but uh, let's see. The so that was the they were hoping to break the world record in Israel last year, but the pit fell considerably short at about thirty six feet. That is pretty short. That's <laughs> pretty disappointing. Well, still probably better than I could do. So Maybe. I can't, you know, I can't really judge them. All right, the next one. Oh, <laughs> disgusting! I don't even know if I want to talk about this one. Worse ah. than the crickets? Yes, worse than the crickets. I can't bring myself to say it. Okay, you got to try and guess this. So, 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 so nasty. Uh, um, All I can think of maybe like dung? Yes. Really? Yes, you got to. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called kadu dung. Kadu dung, okay. K-U-D-U. Kadu, kadu. kadu. Kudu? Kudu? No, Kudu, maybe? I don't know. But it, whatever. It's gross. Whatever it is, it came it, from a cow. It's poop. <laughs> so, and it is a spitting competition. So, Kudu dung, preferably dry. <laughs> As compared to what? Sure. Oh, it's, I would oh, hope. it's getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need that visual. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, and they say that it's not easy to come by. Oh, no. <laughs> they don't just, like, pat on whatever animal it is, a cow or something, be like, hey, buddy. Apparently, it's an antelope. An antelope, okay. I guess they can run away pretty quickly. So it's not easy to come by given the antelope's limited habitat. But these adventurers jumped at the chance to demonstrate a sport found in some parts of Africa. There are ma many ways to spit the pellet. <laughs> All of them, of course, involve putting a piece of dung in your mouth. 
according to the World Kudu Dung Spitting Championship website. Oh, did I even get through that? You did. I'm impressed. Good for <laughs> will you. The people, will the listeners be able to hear me through that? Okay. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. That I would never do. No. <laughs> That's a definitely. Even if it's dry. <laughs> H-E double hockey sticks. No. <laughs> for me. Okay. The next one. Luckily, I don't have to read the next one. It's the cherry pit spitting. So okay. we got through that. We already did that one. Although I didn't talk about that. They also have a men and women's division. I know I said like they had younger kids Wait. division. But. So they have a men and women's division, which does that mean like they think that men are maybe better or maybe women are better at spitting out cherry seeds? <laughs> I don't know. Is it like that a man has more muscle and so they can push more on their lungs and have greater distance? Like more air blown out? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they already have the handicap for the height, so. But the, the women weren't that far off. So the winner was Lisa Lynch of Cascade, Colorado. And uh, that was the same year that an outsider actually won for the regular competition, too. His name was Ron Matt of Chicago, and he spit it. It says 69 inches, but I think uh, this <laughs> this is ABC website. But I think they meant to put 69 feet there. But um, So he spit it 69 feet, and then Lisa Lynch that year reached 40 feet. That wasn't too bad, I no, guess. not bad at all. Once again, still better than I would yeah. choose. So. Same. All right. So the last one that they have, uh, very interesting, because it's not even, well, I mean, I guess some of these are in, in, in the animate objects as well, but uh, champagne cork. You know, champagne bottles already do the job of <laughs> spitting it out. Now, could you like hide it kind of behind your face and then just open the bottle? So I could like spit for you. Can you like guzzle some soda before and then you do a burp out? <laughs> Maybe. Have some carbonation just push it for you? This doesn't have the rules listed like the others. So I don't know. But you know, something in your mouth that was more like an apparatus. So maybe you could put liquid in your mouth. I didn't say that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So champagne corks in Ashrita Furman. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the name. Um, Ashrita Furman of Queens, New York, has held many Guinness World Records over the years, including juggling on a pogo stick for the longest distance. Okay. And he added um, this one in January of 2010, spitting a champagne cork 22 feet on Anacana Beach, Easter Island, Chile. Kind of a weird place to say I'm going to go spit a cork. It's romantic. I guess. But I guess... um, Actually, the interesting thing is that, you know, it's in the ABC thing of the spitting competitions, but it really doesn't talk about a spitting competition. So I don't know if maybe they just pulled that from the world records, you know, just that he did the spitting or if there was a true competition. He did a competition with himself. Yeah, I guess so. So so anyway, <laughs> some interesting facts there. I can definitely tell you that I will not be spending... Uh, any spitting competition day spitting dung. 
So we can cross that off our list of things to do on spitting days. But since this is specifically International Cherry Pit Spitting Competition, then I guess we need to spit some cherry pits and we'll be in, we'll still be in Canada at that time. So it's truly international for us. Uh, Yeah. So that works. Um, Maybe make a cherry pie. I'm down for cherry pie. Yeah. But preferably without the pits. So don't break your teeth on them. Let's not do that. Yeah. And Marisquina cherries are good. But they don't really have pits, right? That's true. They are pitless. Oh. <laughs> oh, well. So anyway, yeah. So I guess just spit cherry pits that day. Uh, practice your technique so you can actually go next year on the 6th to join the competition and beat one of these crosses or less lessers 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 yeah lessers I think it was. yeah <laughs> so. and beat the royalty of cherry spitting find your way into the ripley's believe it or exactly. not exactly you gotta be an outsider there so. well that was fun yeah <laughs> Um, well, thank you guys for joining us on this two-parter episode. Again, this is a little bit outside of what we're normally doing, um, and that we might be switching it up a bit more in the coming weeks. But if you have not listened to part A yet, this is a continuation for the first two weeks to July. And in the other episode, we talk about World UFO Day and uh, Amir, Compliment Amir, Amir Day. Day. So uh, please go back and listen to that. Uh, there's a lot more information um, that we, you know, thought was very interesting and wanted to share with you guys. So, but other than that, thanks for joining us on this, you know, journey through science experiments and through different food and inanimate (laughs) objects being spit out of people's mouths (laughs) i thought crickets were bad yeah well i guess we will see you all soon yeah see you next time y'all bye Thank you for joining us in our hop through these silly and strange celebrations. We'll be back again in two weeks with another assortment of holidays to inspire new traditions. You can follow us at Don't Tell the Easter Bunny on Facebook and Instagram, or Don't Tell the EAS1 on Twitter. And for emails, you can use Don't Tell the Easter Bunny at gmail.com. See, See you, you next time! time.